0: Good, 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 good. i just throw, throw it out there. My hand was up backstage. Just, and um, I think what Sa- Samantha was talking about meant, um, I think it was from the Lord. So if you're visiting, you're like, that was kind of weird. Agreed, right? But the Lord is in it. And um, I think the Lord is speaking to us through uh, many voices. I think he speaks to us through the worship. I think he speaks to us um, through preaching. I hope, that's my role. I hope, right? And I think he speaks to us in... Um, inspired words like Samantha had. And um, I can tell you because I know her well that she's she doesn't have a dog in a fight here. She's not trying to prove anything to you, but she felt the Lord was leading her to say something. And if you're a person who heard that and responded, and again, my hand was up backstage and I'm responding to it. If you're one of those people, I believe the Lord is doing something in your life. So praise the Lord. Jesus would continually say when he would speak to the disciples and to religious leaders and to anyone who would gather around him, he'd say, he who has ears to hear, let him, what, hear. And um, I shared this with my staff this morning in our uh, morning huddle, is that there's all kinds of voices speaking to us in the world around us. You've got media speaking to you. You've got family members speaking to you. The culture is screaming at you something. And Jesus, hear me when I say this, oftentimes speaks something the opposite that you're hearing from the world around you. And then he would say, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. (laughs) You know, part of the work that we do is we have to lean into the words of God, to the things that he's saying to us. And we ask the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would deafen our ears to the culture, that he would deafen our ears to the world, that he would deafen our ears to the things that that maybe even your own parents are saying about you. You would deafen your ears to some of your own family, right? That you deafen, God, help us to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Help us to hear what you have to say about us, and so I just want to encourage you. I did not rehearse this or nothing, and I don't. And Samantha didn't rehearse that either, but um, I think the Lord would speak to us today. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. (laughs) My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and it's a, a, a pleasure of mine to lead us in week two of our Christmas series that we're calling Messy Christmas. And so last week, we just talked about how Jesus can impact the messiness of our lives, especially even in the messy relationships that we have. And so last week, we talked uh, about family relationships. Sometimes family relationships can be somewhat messy, and it's never more apparent to us than at the holiday season, yes? Where you have to sit with all those people who don't vote like you. Anyone? <laughs> right? And and it's, the whole, it's all the things. And you have to deal with all of that. So it is kind of crazy. And so I, I used a personal story of my own. I had, in reading the Christmas story, the nativity story, the birth of Jesus. I had um, thought some some way about Joseph's and Mary's family. I thought they were mistreating Joseph and Mary. And I just, and because of that, I sort of judged them. Not that it matters. I'm like, I'm not gonna like meet them at the mall or nothing, but I just like it, it it mattered to me, and my disposition towards them and people like them was sort of boiling up in me. And then when I read the scriptures, I had a different understanding, a different take. I studied scriptures differently, and it just changed my view on something. And so I I said this last week. I said, you know, God is a God of reconciliation. Not at me if you agree with that. And it just means this. God wants to reconcile and make amends amongst people. And I just suggested, right? I can't say thus saith the Lord, but I suggested that this Christmas season is for many of us an opportunity, divine providential opportunity that God in his sovereignty has laid out before us to reconcile with family. And to reconcile with some of those that we have a quote-unquote misunderstanding with. And I I don't know where that's going to lead you in these next coming weeks, but it's possible that God is saying something to us in the midst of that. And so last week was messy relationships, messy family. This week, I just want to talk about the messy world that we live in. Would you agree that the world is somewhat messy sometimes? Yes, of course it is. And I'll even argue in my sermon this morning that the world that Jesus was born into was equally as messy right? And I'll even argue, I'll give you my end point now, that I think the world is getting better because of Jesus. You can nod in agreement if you think so, right? Jesus is making the world better. Say amen to that. Yes, I don't think you believe it, but it's true. <laughs> that's okay. That's my work. I get to do that today. And I'm not, again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God silenced the darkness. Let only light come, come true, or come through today. That's what I'm asking. So, anyways, to set the stage of our mind, I do want to read that passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. This is the nativity scene. This is what G, uh, uh, TJ was talking about, the shepherds and the angels. And, and we've all heard it before, but let's, let's let the Scripture speak to us and set the stage here. So, starting here in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and she laid him in a feeding trough, or a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Say, all the people. Aw, thank you. It's so good. <laughs> for unto you, verse 11, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, that you can find that baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and we always think they sing, and maybe they were singing, and I'd like to imagine that. And they're singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So when the angels went away from them back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see for our very eyes this thing that has happened. And so the Lord has made it known to us. They want to go see it. Verse 16, and so they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying there in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. A couple verses after this, it even says that the shepherds left and were telling more people about all of this. So... Um, th- this is the story, the nativity that we find ourselves in. So I just want to pray for us and ask God to help us to understand. So Lord, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you that you've given us a real desire to worship you and to laud you and to exalt you. And so we're, we're thankful for that. And Lord, in the midst of all of the things that's going on in our lives, we have to pause and we have to just slow down enough to put you first. And so we take this time right now to do so. Lord, may you become first in our lives. May you become first in our thoughts. May you become first in our responses to the the things that people say. May you become first in our responses to the people we run into. May you just become first, Lord. God, we, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now to help us and to guide us, to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, right on. So in the liturgical church calendar, this season that we find ourselves is called Advent. Many of you have probably heard of Advent. Renaissance has actually done an Advent series a couple times before, usually around this time. And Advent just comes from the Latin word, which just means coming or arrival. So the the weeks preceding the birth of Christ, right, Christmas Day, that the church would typically get ready and they would prepare themselves for the arrival of Christ, They use a wreath with some candles on it. And it's symbolic of when they light a candle, like we were saying earlier, that the candle, the light of God, would push back the darkness. And so each week they'd light another candle. And so all the candles were lit, and then the arrival of Christ is celebrated. And so this Advent season, we're, we're, too, preparing ourselves. And we're doing so not just by cleaning our houses. Yes, you're cleaning your house, expecting guests. Yes, I hope so. All those things. We're doing more than that, but we're also trying to navigate some, some emotional mess in our own lives. That all of us are moving towards Christmas somewhat <laughs> um, unbuoyed, if you will, to the truth that God has said over us. And we struggle with this truth because we are walking contradictions. Let me just give you some examples of some of the things that I'm talking about. And by, by giving my example, maybe you'll, you'll, um, you'll recognize some of your own. So there are some weeks I'm at work I work for a church, I don't know if you guys knew that, but I work for a church and, uh, and I, I just crush it. Like I do such good work, like, you know, hey. Um, and I get all my stuff done, I, I'm a planned ahead, I make all the phone calls, I respond to the emails and the texts and do all the things. And I feel very like happy that I've done a lot of work. And then there are other work weeks or days that I just leave feeling like I got nothing accomplished. Right, and I, I just struggle with that. Like I feel like, like I'm a failure. There are days when I feel like I'm one of the best husbands that have ever existed on the face of the earth. Much better than most of you, honestly. <laughs> right? And I, my wife is not in the room. where She'd be going, boo! Right? And, and, and yet, there. I'm a great dad. I think I'm a great dad. I love my children, all this. And then sometimes I'll go home just overstressed or frustrated or there's something running in the back of my mind that I just can't shake and then my wife or my daughter or one of my daughters will ask for something and I'm just curt with them I'm just short with them I'm not very Jesus like with them and it's this contradiction of the person that I know God's called me to be and is, is wanting me to become is not living that existence yet and I'm struggling with that and, and, and maybe some of you recognize some of those things as well Sometimes I'll be working out and eating well. Anyone? And then the next thing you know, it's been 14 days since I laced up my running shoes. Real story. This morning I ran, before I came to church this morning, it was the first day I have ran in 14 days. That's the longest stretch I've gone without running in over five years. And here's what I'm trying to say is that all of us have this sort of contradictional mindset that we're trying to deal with. And we wish we could do what Greg Coles, Greg Coles is a fellowship research fellow at the Center for Gender, Faith, and Sexuality. And he says this, he goes, I wish I could take the messiness of my own life and pack it away like the Thanksgiving and fall decorations and just stick them in the basement somewhere so that when Christ comes, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus and the family all arrives, I'm swept clean and ready for his arrival. But the unfortunate reality, it's just not that way. That the messiness of our lives continues and Jesus is coming. Here we go. Ready or not. Ready or not. Christmas is coming. Yes. But I love this idea about the messiness of our lives. It runs into the the Christmas season and unfortunately, and this is true for many of us here, that, that we can't break out of this messiness of our own lives without some help. As a pastor, I would say this, that you, what you need is the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. But on top of that, you might also need a counselor, a friend, a, a spouse who speaks truth in love a friend who speaks truth and love to help you. Because left to our own devices, we cannot actually create or or change ourselves. We need help from someone else. And so when we move towards the Christmas season, I'm asking that we just pause to consider the work that Jesus has done and has made available to us. We can just pause and think about ginger, cookies or desserts or whatever, and make the holidays about that. But I'm telling you, underneath all of that is a real story of a real man named Jesus Christ who's come to change the world, and he's doing so one life at a time. And your life is one of those. My life is one of those. That he's changing the world through us and by us. And we know that, that when, even though Christmas is, is coming, ready or not, right? And it's a picture of like God always arriving exactly when he wants to. I remember watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy a couple decades ago, Peter Jackson's trilogy, if you guys know. And there's this moment where um, Gandalf the wizard, am I with anyone right now? Gandalf the wizard is going to the Shire where the hobbits live. Anyone, any fellow nerds out there? And so, and and Frodo jumps over, crest the hill, and he tells Gandalf, you're late, if you know the scene. And Gandalf says, oh, poor boy, uh, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He always arrives precisely when he intends to. And I remember seeing that scene a couple years ago, years ago, and thinking that's who God is. Now, I wouldn't shock you to know that Tolkien who wrote The Lord of the Rings was a Christian, right? And so what, what, what he's saying, what Gandalf is saying is actually a picture of who God is for us too, that God arrives precisely when he intends to. And so when he came to earth as a baby, it was exactly when he needed to. If maybe there's a takeaway for us, the first takeaway is this, is that God's timing is always perfect. You can read the stories of the Old Testament that God showed up to help his people precisely when they needed it. Sometimes he would let them help themselves for so long they got themselves in deeper trouble. Anyone? And then God comes and says, hold my beer, I got this, right? He doesn't say that, but you know what I'm saying? Like he comes in and, and can and help us. The Apostle Paul maybe put it best when he says this in Galatians chapter four, verse four. He said that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman. It's probably a good moment to have an excursus or a little side note here to talk about what this means. I remember going to church as a, I I didn't go to church growing up. So I became a Christian in my late 20s, 26, 27. I started attending church and I loved it when the pastor would take these little side moments to teach Something to you. So I'd like to do that for you if I could. What you need to understand, if you don't know this already, is that Jesus didn't start beginning or existing when he was born in Bethlehem. Okay, Jesus is what we call the second person of the Trinity. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they have all existed coequally together for all eternity, they've never not existed. So Jesus is preexistent to this moment. What we celebrate at Christmas is when Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, when he incarnated himself or took flesh on and came to dwell amongst us. And so in that perfect timing, God sent forth Jesus, who's always existed, and Jesus comes to Earth and takes on flesh and eats avocados and, and right, and goes to the restroom and stubs his toe and does all the human things, and He dwells amongst us too, and, and, he, and he understands what it's like to be human. And then He lives his life, and he begins to teach people about the kingdom of God. And that God has come to turn things around, to change things up, to make things right, the way they're supposed to be, the way God intended. And and Jesus teaches that message. He teaches the message of the goodness of God and the way of salvation. And when the fullness of time would come, Jesus would offer his life as a sacrifice on a cross, that he would lay down his own life. And he'd be buried in a grave. And on the third day, he would raise from the dead. Amen? And the truth of that message would begin to change the world around us. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, (laughs) I argue this. Like we live in a world right now that is so radically transformed by Jesus and it's so common to our understanding and our lives that we sometimes take it for granted. That God has done so much for us and we sometimes don't even see it. A simple one is this, that our our time is separated by Jesus Christ. The calendar that you look at every day to to say, do I have a meeting today? Is today the day I go to the doctor? Is today the day I have a whatever oil change? The calendar is divided into BC and AD, before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus Christ has impacted the world in so many ways, and yet it's so common to us, we don't see it. What I'm asking the Lord to do for us now is to open our eyes to see it. Because if you can see what God has done in the world around us, then, oh my gosh, you'll begin to see what, what God is doing in your life. And then you'll be a person who walks around with more faith and more hope. And as the angels cried from heaven to those shepherds, more peace on earth. Jesus has come to change the world. And he's changed the world. When Jesus was born, when he incarnated, he was born into a messy world. We said earlier that our world is a mess, and I don't disagree with that. I think it is messy at times. But Jesus, the world that Jesus was born into is messy as well. He was born into what is called the, the Roman Empire. And many consider the Roman Empire to be one of the greatest civilizations in history. It was first ruled by Caesar Augustus, who was mentioned in Luke's gospel here led by Caesar Augustus, who was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And Augustus rose to power, conquering some of Rome's um, enemies. And Augustus was eventually celebrated, even venerated as savior of the world. That was his title. Caesar Augustus was the savior of the world. Or so he thought. Because in the middle of that world comes Jesus, the real savior of the world. During Augustus' reign, there was the Pax Romana. You've probably heard of that. It's Roman peace. It was established. And the themes of freedom and justice and peace and salvation permeated his reign. And the only issue is this, that those themes were only allowed, which which rather allowed for growth and prosperity, but only for the elite, only for the select. Those things came at a great cost to the majority of citizens in the empire who were heavily oppressed. It's a, it's a contradiction of sorts. The Roman peace is held together by fear of the sword, that if you spoke against the Romans, that you could face death. If you did not toe the line of the Roman empire, you could face persecution. If you, you know what I mean? And yet this whole reign, the Pax Romana is supposed to be freedom and peace and, and, and salvation and justice for all people. But it wasn't like that. Many people were abused. There was heavy taxation on all of its citizens, as you can surmise, because there's such a great army that needs to be fed and clothed and moved around the empire, so they taxed the people heavily. And the influence of Greek philosophers from three and 400 years before, like Aristotle and Plato, you guys remember those guys from from history class? Yeah, they were influenced, the the thought, societal thought of the Romans, and they they treated people poorly. The, The Greeks thought that slaves were, their words, quote, living tools, Unquote. That if you owned a slave, it was nothing more than a tool to you. And if, you didn't, if it wasn't working out for you, you could break said tool, throw it in the trash, if you get what I'm saying, and just go buy another one. Women were less citizens than, than men. And there was this, it's not a caste system, but you can see the separation of the different peoples. There's a select few, the elite, who, who gained in prosperity, gained in wealth, gained in stature, but at the cost of everyone else. And it's in the middle of this world that Jesus was born into. Children, unfortunately, during this time were often exposed. And this was the language that parents would use when they didn't want to raise their own children. They would expose them. It just means they'd walk to the the village garbage hill or dump and leave their child there. And they would die from the elements or they'd die from a wild animal. They would die. There was no... There was no regulation or law that stated that a person must raise their own child. In fact, it will be four or five centuries later when the world will see its first ever legislation that says that if you have a child, you have to take care of it. Because it was such a common place for people to just set their children outside if they didn't want them, if they frustrated them, they didn't have to deal with them anymore. And in the middle of that world, Jesus has come. So our world's a mess for sure, but their world was equally or even more so a mess. And so the son of God came to change the world. Here's what we need to know. The contradiction of that world left to its own devices could not produce the world we live in right now. That without Christianity, without our faith and the work that it's done on the earth, we couldn't live in this world. If we follow Darwinian thought that just says that the survival of the fittest is at the expense of the weakest, there's no room for justice in that model. There's no room for care in that model. There's no room for consent or freedom, that there's a few people who are strong and they win because they beat out the weak. If we take the early ancient ideas of their creation myths, whether it be the Romans, the Greeks, the Babylonians, the Syrians, any of those, and they all have creation stories, much like ours, but all of their creation stories are little unique than ours. Ours, I should say, ours is unique to theirs. In theirs, there's always chaos. There's always some sort of battle or war. The gods are are fighting, and then humanity is birthed out of some violent moment, and they're created to serve the gods. But when you read our story of creation, It doesn't say that. It says that God created the earth and it was good. And he put mankind in it, both male and female in his image in the earth. And it was really good. Our story's different. Our story from the beginning page is talking about equality between men and women. It's such a common thing right now that we believe there should be equality, not in Jesus' day. Like we don't even see what God has done on the earth through Jesus Christ and his church. We just take it for granted. And because we take it for granted, we don't think he's doing something. I told my staff this morning, I'm of the persuasion that believes the world is getting better. Everybody thinks I'm a moron. (laughs) Like, don't you watch the news? I don't actually, I don't. I just believe the world's getting better. Yeah, but people are more anxious now than they've ever been before. I don't disagree, but Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Like, they had anxiety too. I mean, they have, but I'm telling you, things are better. So I, I'm, I'm arguing my case. Let me just continue to go on. So when we look at the nativity story, the, the Christmas story here, when this message of Jesus, the Savior, is coming to the earth, he, he immediately tells the story to shepherds. It's what we already talked about, the lowliest of low. These people were typically unkempt. They were dirty. They lived out in the fields with the animals. They were oftentimes poor on the lowest rung of the economic ladder. And yet when Jesus was born and God wanted to announce this to the world, he doesn't announce it to the palace in Rome. He doesn't announce it into the temple in Jerusalem, but he comes to a field where shepherds, the lowliest of low, the, the ones who can't even testify in court because they're untrustworthy, the ones who everyone in town thinks are liars and cheats and drunkards, that God comes to those people and says, check it, a Savior has come. Come, go to Bethlehem and look for it. If you don't believe me, go look for yourself. And the story of Jesus comes to those people when they marveled at what uh, the God's angel had proclaimed to them, excuse me. And they went to go see it for themselves. And they left forever with their lives changed. And they become, and I love this part, the first evangelists. The ones who couldn't even testify in court began to testify to the world that Jesus had come. And God is flipping the script upside down. The powerful and the elite are gonna be humbled and the lowly will be exalted. That a new kingdom, God is reestablishing this kingdom on the earth the way it's supposed to be. And he did this through the birth of his son, Jesus Consider this all of the moral and ethical values that our society desires, all the things that we cry should be right, are the result of Jesus coming to the earth and dying for the sins of the world. Look at equality, as I had already mentioned. Look at compassion. Look at consent. Look at freedom. And I could go on and on, but look at those things that we consider so commonplace. They were non existent in Jesus' day. Equality. We believe in the, the equal moral status of every member of the human family no matter their rank, political status, no matter their skin color, no matter their sexuality, straight or queer, no matter their, their voting Republican or Democrat, all people are equal. And you believe that, right? Oh my gosh. We believe that, right? You know why we believe that? Because Jesus has changed the world so much that it makes sense to us now. When when that message came out of Jesus, like for the first 400 years or whatever, before we get to the dark ages, before Rome fell, like they were, you couldn't even talk to them about slaves being equal to their masters. You couldn't even talk to the women being the same as men. Like even the early democracies that they tried back then were ruled by the men in the family right? Yeah, it's ruled by the people, but only a select group of people. Like our experiment here in America, this d- d- Democratic Republic, it's all people get a chance to vote. I mean, you got to be 18, right? Is that the voting age now? Right? But you got to be 18, but yeah, you get to, you get to enter in. All I'm saying, as common as that is to us, it was unheard of in his day. And my point is saying, do you guys see this now? There's an old fable, an old goldfish. This is strange. An old goldfish is swimming by and he sees two young goldfish going this way. And he says, Hey, small fry. It's his nickname for the little fish. He says, Hey, little fish, how's the water? And the little fish go, what's water? They have no idea they're even swimming in water. And that's my point. We, we have so many blessings in our world because of the work that Christ has done. We take them for granted. We don't even see them anymore. The fact that in the spring of 2020, we had to argue which lives mattered or not is, is proof to us that this, this equality from the gospel in Jesus Christ has made its way into our culture. And consent, we don't believe anyone should be told to do something they do not want to do, unless you're married. And and you sign off on that consent, right? When you kiss your bride or your groom in front of everybody. We believe in compassion, that a society should be judged by the way it treats its weakest members. We decry all across the globe that there are some cultures that just treat their people so poor. The infirmed, the sick, the weak. Maybe we even do it in our own country but we think that there should be compassion. And we believe that people should be free, that there should be freedom. I mean, our country, if nonetheless, is birthed on that moment alone or that that value alone, that we believe that persons are not property and that each of us should be in control of their own lives. And all this to say, guys, these are values that have come through Christ, that have come through the God of the Bible, and and we don't have them any other way. None none of the other religions of this world are gonna produce this type of, a value system. None of the other um, creation stories are going to produce this type of living for us. Christ, Jesus, has done this for us, and this is where I'll end. And if we can pause to see it around us, and if we can believe that God has come into a really messed up world two thousand years ago and has began to change it for the better, then we can start to believe that God can come into my life into your life and begin to change it for the better. (laughs) This is my favorite thing. And for some of you, he already has. He's already done a work in you, and yet it's so common to you now, you don't even notice it anymore. You don't even see it. Um, There are many things that the Lord is working through uh, in my life, many. And if you've known me for a long time, what I'm about to say uh, to you won't shock you, but if you j- just if we're just meeting for the first time, right? You're gonna go, huh? Um, but the Lord has worked in my life more than any other thing. He's worked in my with my temper and my anger. I've been a Christian 26, 27 years, and I was an angry man easy to fly off the handle, easy to throw a tool when things aren't going, easy to yell, easy to cut somebody off in traffic, easy to get so frustrated, right? And if you were to look at me now, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't like, like poke the surface every now and again, my wife could tell you all about it, right? But I'm not the person that I used to be. I'm not. God has changed me. In fact, it's so common, like my kids hardly ever see me get angry. They see me get frustrated. They've never seen me the way I used to be. All that to say, I bet there are things in your life that the Lord has dealt with over time and you just don't notice it anymore. And here's why, because you're focused on the other things that God's trying to deal with. Like, yeah, you do need more patience, of course, but He's done this in your life. Yeah, you, you do need to be more compassionate and loving. and You actually need to be more giving, right? For whatever reason, you like to hold on to all your stuff. I don't give, I don't give, I don't give my time away, I don't give my money away. It's, I work hard for it, it's mine right? It's a sort of a selfish thing. Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's your thing. And so you're focused on that and you're, you're losing sight of the fact that God has done something incredible already. And so, as the Advent season, the preparing for the arrival of Christ comes as Christmas marches one day closer, one day closer. Did you know you can't get to Christmas without getting through my birthday first? And it's Tuesday and I wear size 11 Vans, throwing it out there. But yeah, as Christmas continues to march forward, it's coming and it's coming and it's coming. And all I'm asking, Lord, is you would open our eyes to see. And you'd open our eyes to see that the world is better because of you have come. The media is telling us something, bro. I'm telling you, I know that's, I know it. Don't buy into all that, it's fine. All right, your parents are saying something about it. That's fine, but God says a different thing about you. The inner voice in your head says, you could be better, Jeff. You could be a better dad. You could be, I know, but God's done so much. As we get ready to celebrate the babe wrapped in cloth, laying in a manger, let's just pause to meditate, pause to pray, and pause to consider what he's already done, and let your faith be built Your hope be be built and just walk into the the peace that God has has laid out for us. God is good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time this morning. The birth of Jesus. What a wonderful opportunity for us to just take a break from everything else that's going on and just to, to look around and see all of your goodness everywhere. God, thank you that your spirit is alive in our church, that you speak to us. Thank you for the word that you spoke earlier through Samantha. Thank you for the word that you're speaking through our worship, through TJ. And thank you for the word that you're speaking through the, the message today, that all of these things would help us to become the people that you want us to be. Lord, we hear you. We hear your encouragement this morning, that you want us to have faith and trust in you. And so, Lord, we lay aside all of the things that we're trying to fix and all of the the hard labor of of our grinding and our white knuckling to produce the results that you can do in but an instant. So, Lord, give us the the strength to surrender. Lord, we don't need strength to fight some more, to work harder. We need the strength to surrender to your will. Your will is always going to come to fruition. Your will 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 be made manifest. And it's either with us or without us. So Lord, help us to surrender to your will. We thank you for the work that you've done, and the work that you're doing, and for the work that you will continue to do. Lord, we ask, bring your kingdom to the earth. Bring your kingdom to the earth. Bring the message of Jesus and the hope of salvation to the earth. And watch the values, the biblical values, freedom, consent, compassion, all of those things, a quality they would continue to grow as it spreads across this globe. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Go ahead and stand back to your feet. We'll finish up with a little bit more of singing. God, loose their tongues. Let them sing loud, God. Let them sing. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.